what we're going to do is we're going to read the, uh, the same story from all four Gospels. Uh, Ernie will explain later. There aren't that many stories that, that um, come quite like this in all the four Gospels. So I'm going to read Matthew 26, uh, 6 to 11. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. And aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached, throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And moving through to the Gospel of Mark and uh, chapter 14, starting at uh, verse 3, reading through to verse 9. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were, say, were, were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, she said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and and you can help them any time you want to. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Thank you, Bill. Me again. Mine comes from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, and is entitled, Jesus Anointed by a Sinful Woman. Luke chapter 7. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town, who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet 
But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The last of our readings is from John chapter 12 and verses 1 to 9. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews formed out, <coughs> found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Well, good morning, everybody. It's a privilege for me to be able to, uh, to stand here and to open God's word. And I'm very grateful to have this opportunity. It's three, a series of three services that we're going to be leading us up to Easter. And we've given them the title, Final Encounters with Jesus. And since today is Mother's Day, it's very appropriate that the first encounter is actually... Sorry. Actually an encounter with a woman. A woman who showed extravagant love. It's a simple story with a very deep significance. And that's the title that I've given to this, this first encounter. It's the story of the anointing of Jesus. I say it's a simple story, but as we've already read, there are four different accounts. And as we look at those, we will see four corroborating accounts, or at least three. One of them is a little difficult. 
Matthew and Mark are both very similar to each other. They probably got their information from the same source or were uh, probably Peter and Matthew who were there were giving uh, this, um, this account. John writes very differently. He gives a lot more information, giving the names of the people who were at this, this feast in honour of Jesus. And Luke has a very different angle. And it's quite difficult in many ways to fit Luke's account together with the other three stories. And for that reason, a great many scholars believe that Luke is actually talking about a different event, one that happened a lot earlier in Jesus' ministry because Luke places the story in the middle of a whole string of stories about Jesus' Galilean ministry, not during the last week of his life. So when we look at Luke's account, we need to bear in mind it may be the same thing or it may be something different. Even so, it's an anointing of Jesus and it carries with it a powerful message which dovetails into the significance of the other three accounts. Well, what actually happened? Let's put the four accounts together into a single narrative and see how the events unfolded. First of all, it's the last week before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus and the disciples come to Bethany. Bethany is just a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem, about a half hour's walk, according to the tour guide. It's a very small town, a town probably two or three hundred people. Everyone knows everyone else, and certainly the significant people in the town know one another. And in this town, during the last week of Jesus' life on earth, a dinner was held in his honour. The dinner was hosted by a man called Simon the leper. It's very unlikely that he was a leper at this time because he wouldn't have been allowed to live in Bethany, for one thing, and he certainly wouldn't have held a dinner for other people. He would have been quarantined with other lepers outside of the town. So probably his name means that he had suffered from leprosy and been cured. Cured miraculously, perhaps, or cured by the natural course of the disease. And he was, had presented him to the, himself to the priest and been declared clean as the priest had followed the Levitical process for determining whether the leprosy was indeed cured. But he was so grateful to God for his healing that he described himself as Simon the leper. Luke says that Simon, the host of the dinner in Luke's story, was a Pharisee. It's not incompatible, perfectly possible, living two miles outside of Jerusalem, that this man would have belonged to the party of the Pharisees. And he held this dinner to honour Jesus, who was staying with his disciples in Bethany. John tells us that Lazarus was also a guest. Lazarus's sister Martha served the food. James Tiso, 
a French painter of religious art, painted this scene uh, with the title, The Dinner in the House of Simon the Leper. And when I saw this, I thought, surely James has got it wrong. There were 12 apostles there, as well as lots of other people. Surely there would have been more than half a dozen people um, reclining at the table like this. So I started to read a little bit about the protocol of Jewish dinners in the first century. And I discovered that it was very frequent for a dinner to be held in honour of someone and there would be four or five honoured guests who would recline with him at the table, maybe not even the host himself, he could circulate. But the dinner would be held in such a place that the general public could move in and out, come and greet the guests and talk with them. And they would be served food, but they would eat standing up. And probably this kind of portico is just the sort of situation in a hot Middle Eastern country that that kind of an event could take place. Now at this dinner, something extraordinary happened. A woman, John gives her the name, Mary, came and broke an alabaster jar of perfume over Jesus' head and poured the perfume on him. The accounts talk about anointing his head and others anointing his feet. She probably did both because the object of what she was doing was to anoint Jesus' body for burial. Let's think about this alabaster jar for a minute. When I say she broke it over Jesus' head, the thought comes to my mind, it looks as though she went crash, and that would not be a particularly welcome uh, interruption to the meal. But um, the alabaster jar was probably something like this. Nard, the perfume that Mary had, comes from North India. It's the only place on the face of the earth where nard grows. And it is accumulated and distilled into a very fine, um, pure form called spikenard. And this kind of alabaster jar would contain about half a litre. The jar would be um, sealed with a hardened wax stopper because it's got to travel thousands of miles. The, the merchants on the Silk Road took nard to China throughout Central Asia, into the Middle East, even into Eastern Europe and North Africa and especially Egypt. And this was a big trade. So the stopper had to fit pretty well. And they made the stopper um, so hard that it was very difficult to remove. However, the alabaster jar was made with a weakness in the neck. So you could break off the neck and pour out the perfume. But what was it worth? A jar, an alabaster jar with half a litre of pure nard. Well, John says it was expensive. Matthew says very expensive. Mark says more than a year's wages. Literally, he says 
it was 300 denarii. A denarius was the wage paid to a labourer for a day's work. So 300 days' work, by the time you counted Sabbaths and festival days, is well over a year's wages that a labourer could earn. Translating 300 denarii into modern money, that's 16,200 pounds. That was a very expensive gesture that Mary made in breaking this jar of perfume over Jesus. And what an exquisite smell. John says that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But I think there was something else going on here as well. I don't know about you, but I have a problem with air fresheners. However nice the fragrance of an air freshener is, when I smell it, I think there must have been a nasty smell here or somebody (laughs) wouldn't have pressed the button to squirt the the air freshener. And so it puts me in mind of nasty things rather than the beauty of the perfume. Spikenard was only used, really, for embalming a corpse. So the beautiful smell that permeated the whole house was reminiscent of death. And I can imagine the the people who were there at this dinner not just questioning the amount of money that had been spent on this perfume, but questioning the appropriateness. Why on earth could she not use Chanel Number 5 or something (laughs) that smelt really nice? This reminds me of death. This reminds me of my father's funeral or my grandfather's funeral. I don't want to be reminded of something like that. And yet, she poured out this perfume to anoint Jesus for his burial. What an extravagant gesture. I'm the wrong person to be preaching at this point in the sermon. It goes against the grain for me. I've spent most of my life working for Christian organizations where stewardship and frugality and getting value for money are very, very high values. When you pay for your work through the donations of other people and you realize that some people have given very sacrificially You do not want to waste their money. And so waste is unthinkable. And I find it very hard looking at this squandering of £16,000 worth of perfume. I find it hard not to say that it was indeed a waste. John says that Judas said it was a waste. But he had an ulterior motive. He just wanted to dip his hand in the bag and get his fingers on some of that 16,200 pounds. But Matthew and Mark say all of the disciples and other people in the, at the feast, they thought it was a waste as well. But stewardship isn't remotely the issue here. And this is the significance of the story. And it's what we need to take away from this story. Stewardship is important, but it is not the ultimate be-all and end-all. 
What did Jesus say to this woman? Well, Jesus said, first of all, to the people who were uh, criticizing her, why are you bothering this woman? Leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing to me. A beautiful thing. The poor you will always have with you. All of the uh, accounts quote that passage which comes from Deuteronomy 15, verse 11. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, pay attention to the fact that you take care of their needs. You leave something on the edge of your field for poor people to take care of. The poor will always be with you. But, Jesus said, you will not always have me. You can almost hear the sense of drama in Jesus' voice. This is the most significant moment in history. I am about to engage in the single most important act that any human being ever performed or ever will perform. I am going to be tortured to death in a few days' time. And I'm going to be buried and I'm going to rise from the dead. And by my death and resurrection, I am going to save all who put their trust in me. This is the most significant thing in the history of humankind. And you're bothered about spending a few thousand pounds on the poor. Where are your priorities I should be your priority here. And you know, as we think about our worship, we should be taking Jesus' words very, very strongly to heart. Jesus sets a new priority to demonstrate our love for him extravagantly. I want to read you something from the preface of an old hymn book a hymn book called Sing Joyfully. We must remind ourselves, the writer says, over and over, that the focus of our Sunday worship must be upon the living Christ among us. In truth, if Christ were bodily present, we could see him with more than our mind's eye. All our worship would become intentional. If Christ stood on our platform, we would bend our knees without asking. If he stretched out his hands and we saw the wounds, our hearts would break. We'd confess our sins and weep over our shortcomings. If we could hear his voice leading the hymns, we too would sing heartily. The words would take on new meaning. The Bible reading would be lively. Meaning would pierce to the marrow of our souls. If Christ walked our aisle, we'd hasten to make amends with the brother or sister to whom we've not spoken. We would volunteer for service. If we knew Christ would attend our church Sunday after, after Sunday, the front pews would fill fastest, believers would arrive early, offering plates would be laden with sacrificial but gladsome gifts, prayers would concentrate our attention. And yet, the truth is that Christ is present. Sunday by Sunday. Forgive me, Lord, if in anything I have said standing on this platform, I've drawn attention to myself 
and taken attention away from you. We know that you are here present with us and we, we want above all else to honor and worship you just as Mary poured out her life savings possibly as she wept over your feet and wiped them with her hair. It's a simple story with a deep, deep significance. So significant that the story will be told wherever and whenever the gospel is preached. That's why it's recorded in the Bible. We read it every Easter pretty well. The anointing of Jesus. What is the significance, this deep significance I keep talking about? It's this. <coughs> no extravagance is too great in showing our love for Jesus. No extravagance is ever too great. Tim LaHaye um, has a comment in his book, Jesus, Who Is He? He gives this story and says, you know, when someone's going on stage in the theatre, it's customary to wish them well by saying, go break a leg. And it sounds ridiculous, but what it means is, go and give the performance of your life. Put your whole being into it. Um, don't count life or limb. Take risks. Do it. Just go and be. Be a magnificent performer. He says, when Christians go to worship, they should encourage one another with the words, go break a jar. Go do like Mary did. Luke's emphasis is rather different. The woman, Luke said, had lived a sinful life. Doesn't sound like Martha's sister, does it? We don't know, in truth, it's tradition that tells us that Mary was uh, a gentle, godly, quiet soul. She may have lived uh, a wicked life and then been uh, repentant and accepted back into the family. We, we just don't know that. But there's another possibility too. Maybe it was another Mary. Because John mentions Lazarus and Martha, we immediately jump to the conclusion that the Mary must be Martha and Lazarus's sister. But it could have been Mary Magdalene. After all, in a few days' time, she would be present at the crucifixion. And on Easter Sunday, she was there with the women who went to the tomb, hoping to... Uh, take care of the body of Jesus. Mary Magdalene was a woman who'd lived a wicked life and had been delivered from seven demons. She loved Jesus with an extraordinary love. Maybe she was the Mary of this story. Simon, the Pharisee host, despises Jesus for allowing this woman to touch him. If he was really a prophet, this man, he'd know who she is. He'd know what she'd done. He'd know she's a sinner. He wouldn't be allowing himself to be solid in this way. But Jesus reads his thoughts and he tells Simon a story. The story 
of two debtors. One man owed 500 denarii, 27,000 pounds. The other owed 50 denarii, 2,700 pounds. Because neither of them had the wherewithal to repay their debts, the money lender forgave them both. Now, Simon, which one do you think would love his benefactor most? Well, said Simon, I suppose it would be the one who'd been forgiven most. You've judged rightly, said Jesus. Now, you see this woman. When I came to your house, you didn't give me any water to wash my feet. Yet she, since she came in, hasn't stopped weeping over my feet and drying them with her hair. When I came to your house, you didn't pour oil on my head to anoint me. Yet she has poured expensive perfume on my head and on my feet. She's shown incredible love. That shows she knows her great sins are forgiven. As we approach Easter, let's remember this story. Maybe music group, if you'd like to come onto the platform for our final time of worship, this would be a good point. As we approach Easter, let's remember how much we have been forgiven. The day we forget how much we have been forgiven, we fall into that trap of taking Jesus for granted. We stop loving him with that same passionate love that Mary showed when she poured out every drop of that expensive perfume. Let's remember how much we've been forgiven. Let's remember the high price that Jesus paid for us. You see, death was in that room. The smell of death in the spikenard, but also the fact that overshadowing this, the, the priests were plotting and Judas Iscariot had already agreed to betray him. And Jesus was going to be murdered for you and for me. Because our sins are so great, that was the only way they could be paid for. So let's be extravagant in our love for him.